I've definitely thought about Ex Machina when I was uh, first like reading this script because it's like uh, you know it's like three characters basically um, primarily and it's but I would say that the difference with these guys is you know I would say first and foremost they're builders of a world and they are incredibly immersive I mean like Ex Machina really kind of happens a lot in the basement of a house Um, uh, but this is you know, we're in spaceships. We're in uh, a, you know, a forest that's on a, another planet. Um, there, there are um, everything is designed by these guys, and it is, and the story is very informed by the world and by the mm-hmm. environment, just by virtue of that. You know, we were yeah, talking the about perspective is from a little girl. Yeah. So that's yeah. already sets it apart from a bunch of different movies, and I love that. Film fans, welcome back to a brand new episode of Not to Bomb Podcast. This is the show where we talk about movies that bombed at the box office or maybe the critics didn't like. Brad, happy 2024. We, yeah, we have now entered in, I think, the fourth year, like technical, like calendar year of this podcast. Has, is it four? Really? I guess so. Is it? I don't know. Yeah. 2020? 2020, maybe. Yeah. Wow. Doesn't feel like it at all. No. No. Well, I guess this but, is episode 186, right? It is correct. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. Hey, we're, we're kicking off this year with a science fiction film. It's, it was one of those that I've been wanting to talk about for a little bit and, um, bought the 4k. I think it was vinegar syndrome who put Correct. this out. That is, is this is a, a Vincent release. Yeah. And, and it's, and I know this is like your favorite genre. So a lot of times I like to try and find these little films that maybe you haven't watched and surprise you with them. So do you want to tell everybody what we're talking about tonight? Yeah. So we're talking about 2018 science fiction film, uh, prospect. And I think like the, the boilerplate description would be a sci-fi Western gold rush sort of movie in a way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's right. Well, before we talk about that, I mean, we're in a brand new year. I, I, I gotta be honest with you. I feel really strange. Like there, there have been all these events leading up to, 2024 that are now a reality and I, I kind of wanted to get your take on some things and where we're going with it so we, we do a podcast about film and movies and you know going to the theater uh, buying your favorite film not so much renting it anymore it's usually streaming or if you rent it it's digital right yeah so there there's so many things changing especially probably in the last 18 months and going into 2024 there's a lot of unusual trends that are starting to form. And I, I wanted to get your opinion on where you think this is going. So I, I thought this was interesting. This is the month that Best Buy officially has stopped selling physical media. I saw pictures of that today. People were 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 sending them out that their physical media displays are gone. Yeah, they're all gone. So most stores like Target and Walmart have reduced their physical media footprint. Mm-hmm. However, I I thought this was really interesting. At the beginning of December, sort of towards the end of November, reports started circulating that Oppenheimer, which was, you know, the big event of the summer, 
like it had sold out of all its 4K copies and Blu-ray copies. It was really hard to find that film for a good two two weeks, maybe, maybe even yeah. three. I, I wonder if that is because this is the year that people have decided to move up to 4K and 4K TVs. You basically can't buy like a 1080p TV anymore. They're all 4K now. If you go into a, like a big box store. And I wonder if people are getting disgruntled with streaming and stuff coming and going and not being able to know where they find to where to find it. And this is the year where they just said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make the jump. And I know Oppenheimer is probably the best movie to start off with. It's like the DVDs, like the matrix, uh, fight club, those first rounds of DVDs that everyone got. I think Oppenheimer is the catalyst for a lot of, a lot of, maybe 4k collecting, but it is at a weird time where, like you said, Best Buy is getting out of it, but it seems like there are times when you hop on Amazon and, you know, you'll, you'll hit to buy it now and you'll have to do like, see other buying options. And it's like, you're buying it through like a third party. Uh, so they're selling through you know supply as well. Yeah. It, there's just like a, a lot of mixed messaging. Cause it's like, Absolutely. I, I I just read also that uh, Arrow has a new Conan the Barbarian and Destroyer mm-hmm. set coming out. It's already yeah. sold out. Yeah. So the, the the boutique stuff is a little bit different, right? Because yeah. we we collect those things. You know, we'll buy every time like uh, Big Trouble in Little China comes up in a special edition by a different. Yeah, you yeah, know, we gotta buy it. We're, we're gonna buy it. <laughs> the thing, you know, there's certain films that you just get. Um, so that'll all, I think that'll always be there. They'll always be the Vincent. They'll always be the arrow. They'll always be, you know, those guys. Sure. But it is sad to see, like when you go into a Best Buy and you go into a target, like I was in target quite a bit over the last few weeks. Cause I have kids and I have stuff to get for people for Christmas. And the vinyl section is bigger than their Blu-ray section now. Yeah, same thing out here. Walmart, even their vinyl section has kind of grown to almost match what they're carrying, you know, just in DVDs and Blu-rays. I know DVD still sells the most, I think, within the retailers, which boggles which my mind. insane to me. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, the prices of that stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm guessing the, the physical meat, it's not going to go away, but I'm assuming it's just transitioning into what vinyl has become, where it's it's really being made for the collectors, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, well, the problem with that is, is then you get to the point where, I mean, there have been vinyls that I have wanted to get. Oh, and they and I missed on the out price. on the first day. And <laughs> yeah. then the next day I'm looking at it and someone wants $200 for it. And I'm the kind of idiot that I'm like, well, I really want it and it looks cool. So, but I, I just can't do that. And I can't do that for movies because I, I want too many of them. Vinyl, I'm very selective, but film i'm like if i haven't seen that i'm getting it physically because i just i want to see it and i want to have it in its best format yeah uh i I agree i i I collect some vinyl too but i've had to i've had to pull back on that just because i'm running out of room man i am running out of room yes you are running out of room you are running out of room well i I thought it was kind of interesting too so we're talking about trends in in this industry going into this year so we mentioned a little bit um when we talked about our recap of 2023 like there, there are some studios that are in big trouble. So they've had a lot of $200 million plus budgets. that didn't work out. Uh, Warner brothers had another huge loss with Aquaman. It's doing a little bit better than the Marvels on an international level. Yep. 
but in terms of what it should have been making in comparison to the first one. I believe the first one was a billion dollar film. Yeah, this one I don't think is going to get there. No. Nope. Um, and in this economy, that could probably mean that some studios are going to have a bake sale uh, or or they got to sell some stuff, right, to, to keep the cash coming in. Yep. I I always hate it when stuff fail. I, I, I know deep down I don't want any movie to fail. Right. Because I know what the repercussions of failure mean. Um, and then I, I am, I'm a big opponent of consolidation. And so when studio buys up another studio, then this huge studio buys up a bunch of other studios. Because we we think that how the system works is you have this huge film and it makes billions of dollars. And that movie trickles down to the other studios and they make all these little smaller films and they can take chances. That's not how it works right. anymore. What that means is they're going to make another $300 million film and it's, hope that it makes $2 billion. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a risk going, inversion platform right yeah, now. Yeah. They're, they're putting all their chips into one basket as opposed to what we used to get. We used to just get a bunch of different stuff. And I think in the 90s, we got a bunch of like really uh, like daring films and a bunch of different uh, takes on genres and a bunch of different types of film. And ever since then, it looks like we've kind of moved away from that and we've gone to these mega budget films, these triple A, like now they're calling them quad A films, where they're, you know, we used to think $100 million for a movie was crazy. Now it's 350 is <laughs> starting to become the norm. But I don't think that's going to become the norm because. No, I, I think some of those budgets were affected because by of COVID, COVID and stuff. shutdowns yeah. and stuff like that. I, I, I just, I like there to be opportunity for filmmakers. Um, we'll talk about two filmmakers tonight that y- 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 you wonder why they haven't made anything since. Um, yeah, no, it's, and it's crazy. So on top of the budgets that um, kind of got out of hand and the returns didn't come in, you're absolutely right. They're, they're now saying, well, we can't take risks on anything that's independent or doesn't have the proper IP or marketing, right? But they they also, everybody wanted to start their own streaming service. And so in the last two or three years, every studio was out there saying, okay, we've got a package, Paramount Plus, um, Hulu, right? Disney Plus, et cetera. And, and what they did was, it was a race towards the bottom on pricing. Yeah. So they would, and when, when shareholders look at that, they always want, the only, the only number they care about now is new subscribers. Well, because uh, it's new money. Well, yeah, but like, then there's this whole thing with churn, which is like mm-hmm. people who cancel and come back. But you can also, when someone is not a, a subscriber for like, I think it's sixty or ninety days, and they come back, that's a new subscriber. Yep. Revenue is com- almost completely the same, but we just have like, you know, so well, yeah, it's it, really, it, it's, it, yeah. yeah, it's caused a problems where you've you've now got um, now this isn't a new format, but more streaming services are getting into this, uh, we're, we're putting commercials. So Amazon Prime, the other th- big thing in January. Hey, guess what? Now you have to give Amazon another $3. Yeah, month. Amazon Prime starts adding commercials um, in January. I think it's January 29th. And like you said, if you don't want the commercials, it'll cost you an extra three bucks. So Netflix has been doing this, has already had sort of an ad-supported tier. Then you pay the premium, you don't see the commercials. But um, with the with the commercials, and the price hike associated with that, and and really everything that's happened in the last few years. I read an article that if you if you want to see 
what you would normally see on cable in terms of variety from different sources, now all of the streaming packages that you need are going to cost you as much, if not more, than a cable subscription. So the streaming is is almost costing people more um, than if they just kept their cable package. And one of the benefits of cable was you could find it. If you had cable and you knew the channel, you knew exactly where to go. Yeah. If someone tells me now, hey, you need to watch XYZ show. I'm like, well, what is it on? It's like this hunt for content makes it really like I would love there to be one app that kind of curated everything into one. Because that was what the cable box did, and it was fantastic. I think it's coming. Uh, yeah. the, the more I see on Wall Street is about um, specifically Amazon, Apple, Paramount Plus is in trouble. Uh, Disney Plus, they they think, is going to turn the corner this year. I mean, Netflix mm-hmm. still owns the market on the streaming. but yeah, every- and it's not even close. Yeah. Like, Netflix <laughs> is so far ahead of everyone. Well, and they were they were out first. They were the market leader. Yeah, but they're, um, they're, drawing, they're drawing the filmmakers and the names and the budgets. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I think and then people, now HBO or, or Max is licensing some of their shows to to they need the cash. Well. I mean, I I, yeah. re- I really think this is going to be a year where start we're going to start to see the bundling, right? And, yeah, and mergers in and consolidation space. for sure. Yeah, uh, movie theater chains still in financial trouble. Um, I don't think the actor and writer strike really helped anybody out because we we did have a handful of you know big movies. Um, Dune is the one. Dune Part Two is the one that comes to mind where they had to push some stuff into 2024 because they couldn't get the actors to do the promotional stuff. Yeah. Deadpool three was another one that got pushed. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming we're going to see more of that business model evolve this year, as well as there could be more consolidations. I mean that you can only, <laughs> you can only file bankruptcy so many times or get a bailout or something of that nature. Yeah. Uh, you think this is the year we start to see less movie theaters in terms of a footprint? I mean, we've been seeing I, it I think for a little so. bit, but I, yeah. I, I don't know, man. That's a, that's a dystopian future. I am not ready to accept. Um, the one movie theater I know that you're, you're aware of that was by you when you lived in my area has changed names a few times. It yes. is now like a Phoenix theater, which I, is, I went and visited and it, it was just like going back in time. Not, not a lot it, of upgrades. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it, it's, it's very weird. Um, but you know, then we have these other theaters that are more like of a luxury item. Mm-hmm. So you go there, you have this huge seat. It's like the screen is much bigger, but you're paying a premium. You know, your ticket is $25, but it's a premium experience. I think maybe that and and maybe so those Alamo draft houses will become more and more common. It'll just become like a more premium thing now, as opposed to, like heaven forbid we had a dollar th- you remember like dollar oh, yeah well i thought it was interesting like uh i got to see die hard dolby atmos for the christmas season but even mm-hmm. going back to the theater i was surprised uh we, i think the night that we went the abyss 4k was showing like you would you would look up there and you see all the new movies but i was surprised there's five or six different older films that were playing mm-hmm. at the same time in these sort of 24 you know theater megaplexes so you think they do that where they they bring out like an older film that people know they're going to like. And then possibly kind of like a, like an opening act to a band. <laughs> it could, well, yeah. And, and if they charge less prices, I mean, w- I've always said this, there, there are just some films that were made to be seen on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I 100% believe that die hard is a great example. I love die hard. I I've watched it on, you know, 
big uh, formats in a home, but nothing absolutely beats seeing that thing on the biggest screen possible. Uh, I I would like to, or I guess I hope, something like Godzilla Minus One. It seems to have done really well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know in your area, but in the Baltimore area, we do get a lot of Korean, Indian films, stuff like that. We don't. We yeah. are a very uh, blue or red state sort of. Uh, well, the last time Cam and I went to to uh, an Indian film, I mean, it had sold out. So I I would hope that in certain markets or you know maybe selfishly in my market, we get more of that, and that doesn't change. But I'm with you. I th- I think you're going to see the premium theater be the thing. Like the Alamo Draft House is a great example. Um, I think you're going to see some of these uh, theaters adopt a classic model. Some you know more of those. Is it Fatum events? F a t h o m. Yeah, I forget what it's called. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that do like the older films, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like especially around their, uh, you know, hey, it's the 20th anniversary of. X oh yeah, 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 stuff yeah. like that. So I I would like to see more of that. I I thought it was interesting too going into 2024, and it just dawned on me. We're talking about entertainment. You and I are both video gamers, but video games um, also play a f- uh, just a fact in in media. I mean, we just got an Avatar video game. Mm-hmm. Um, but E3 is officially dead. So, um, the electronic entertainment expo, I mean, it, it was sort of the gaming industry's biggest convention. It could never really recover from the pandemic. Uh, but yeah. you did have movie studios and stuff showing up to these things, even like comic-con, but, um, studios didn't attend the San Diego comic-con because of the strikes. Uh, they weren't sending a lot of stuff over to E3 and these big pop culture events are drying up that were sort of associated with the film industry. E3 is the first one. It's officially dead. So do you, do you think we're going to see this just because of what the studios are going through from a financial perspective, the movie going experience, all this other stuff? You think you're going to see studios pull back from comic book conventions and stuff like that in general? Maybe. I like. I know like you've worked things where you're like you have to go to conventions yep. and all this stuff and do certain things. And then you look and you – you see the price tag on that. And you're like, wow, that was really expensive. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I hate, now what I hate a studio, signing that check. <laughs> yeah. Well, now what a studio can do is literally send out a tweet and say, on like, like Rockstar did for, and not everything is GTA six. Right. But GTA six. They said, Hey, we're going to give you the first trailer for GTA six on X date. They tweeted that out and they put it out and it was the most watched trailer in 24 hours. Yeah. Pretty much broke the internet. Yeah. And, and so that cost them, zero dollars yeah you can't you can't buy publicity for zero dollars like that so you know studios can do that marketing for way less money and control the messaging and you know barbenheimer is a perfect example no one at the studio planned that it just organically happened and once it did it took off and it was the biggest thing to happen and it was totally free. the The internet ate it up, and the internet created it, and it helped both of those films be two of the biggest films of the entire year. That gentleman's thing for Minions, yeah, was like free. Like it just it just happens. You can't create it, but I wonder if studios try to start doing these creative ways to go viral in a way, like sort of the grassroots go, stuff. Yeah. Once they, once the internet learns or has a feeling that this is created, it doesn't feel the same. Like it's a, it's the machete model, right? Like we all know that machete is trying to, to 
point back to the grindhouse and B films right. of, you know, midnight cinema. It feels a little off because they're trying. Yeah. There, there is that, I guess you would call it trying too hard. Yeah. Yeah. And machete wasn't trying too hard, but like in marketing and stuff, it feels cause it's like a corporate thing. It feels yeah, yeah. way worse. Um, but to answer your question, I, I just think the costs associated with that and I mean, stuff is expensive now. And if you can say, well, why do we, why are we going to these things and sending people here and doing all this stuff and competing with all the other news when we can pick a day and just say, Hey, uh, X, Y, Z is coming out and be excited. Are, are you, are you excited for 2024? Just, I gotta be honest. So some of the things are not changing in terms of, uh, things like we're going to crap ton of sequels again. So any any hope that some of the big uh, blockbuster busts that happened in 2023 as mm-hmm. a result of these budgets, if that was going to, um, I don't know, create this window for more original stories or new IPs, stuff like that. I think if you look, actually look at the 2024 release schedule, you can see just as many sequels um, and continuations of, of different franchises as you've seen before. Uh, but I mean, in general, are you, are you pretty excited about like what film has to offer? This yeah, year? I I'm always excited. Cause I always reflect back on the year before in things like past lives, anatomy of a fall, the holdovers, none of that was on my radar at the beginning of 2023. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I saw them, I was like, oh my gosh. And then I'm putting together my list for our top five. And I even have more films that I've seen since then, like the ones <laughs> I just said, and I had like 25 films. I could have stretched it out to probably 30, 35. And so, you know, a lot of those were just films that I came across during the year. And, you know, I know the big ones for next year, like Dune was one of my favorite films when it came out. So I'm really excited for Dune 2. I'm really excited for uh, Deadpool 3 um, because I, Wolverine, like I think the X-Men might have a, I don't know, at some point in time, Marvel's going to have to introduce the X-Men and I'm going to get excited like a little nerd. But um, yeah, I, you know, I like big film. I like, you, you know, when I saw, when I finally saw the holdovers, I loved it. I thought it was a masterpiece, but I'm like, did I have to see, would I have had to see that in the theater? And the only reason I would have is if I wanted to be a part of the conversation. Sure. You know, I don't, that doesn't really appeal to me anymore. Uh, but when I saw it, I'm like, that is a amazing film. Everyone should see it, but they didn't do, they need to see it in the theater. I think something like Dune two or Dune part two is a theater experience movie. Like yeah. you need to see that in the theater. So, you know, I'm excited for those, but again, it's the ones that I'm, I don't know about Godzilla minus one, like those films that I, I just, I, I see them and I'm like, oh, this is crazy. I mean, the creator. I kind of knew about that, but I, I hadn't seen the trailer. And then when I saw the trailer, I'm like, Oh, that is, that, yeah, that is a did, that, did, that felt like it snuck up on everybody. No, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm really excited about some of the stuff that's coming out internationally. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for the big stuff as well. I mean, mm-hmm. we're getting another Godzilla and King Kong film. Yeah. So I'm super excited about that. But yeah, I, I think 2024 could be as interesting because I do think, in terms of content, you just got to look, it's going to be there. And, um, I was really happy with everything that went down in 2023 in terms of film quality. I think it'll carry over into 2024. I think we're in a transition year. 
I, I think there are going to be some big events or consolidations or mergers or just something's going to happen. And we're going to go, Ooh, you know, we should have seen that coming, mm-hmm. but, um, it makes total sense. I don't think there's going to be any big surprises. I just think it's going to be this maturation and evolving of, of really the film going experience overall. And, and I, I serious, like I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't bet the house on it, but I really wonder if people start to get pissed off that stuff is, is taken away from them. I know at the time it was a big story and then it was kind of taken back, but discovery pulled all their content off of the, off of PlayStation. Yes. Of Sony. Well, Sony pulled more content yeah. as well. Yeah. So, so yeah. I guess it was vice versa. Sony didn't renew the license with discovery. Yeah. So they were going to pull all these shows that people actually bought. And then now they've gone back and renewed it. Cause it was, a, I mean, it was a ton of stuff and it was like a bunch of bullshit shows, but if you spent your money on it, you sure. feel like it's yours, but digital, it's just a lot, but whatever. We're not going to, no, go I, I see these articles pop up all the time. Like, why can't I stream Dawn of the dead? It's like, well, yeah. I've got four copies of it. If you, <laughs> yeah, but, you see I, it, but I wonder if people start to say, why don't I just buy it? Uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I mean, the movie we're going to talk about today comes from was going to come to your house and like, take it like you will always have it. No, now, but it'll, it'll like, depend on what comes with it. Right. I mean, I do, I do think physical media isn't dead. It just transforms into what vinyl is today. I mean, when, when things come out on 4K, you're going to pay in the first week 40 or 50 bucks. I mean, those Avatar 4Ks, when they came out, they were $50 a piece. I mean, you can get yeah, it. Yeah, I think, I think Amazon had it like 30. I think I paid 30. Well, well yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. it's a pre, it's, it's, it's not cheap, but you get the 4K, you get the Blu ray, you get the digital, you get, everything. You get all right. of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, here, here's our last statistic before we talk about the film. So, as of September 2023, there are 3.02 million podcasts. Um, some other articles say it's closer to 4.2 million. Um, society and culture is the number one genre. So um, TV and film or nerd shit is ranked 12th out of the categories and makes up 3.13% of the population of podcasts. Yep. So um, we're in a hobby that hasn't um, had the the spikes of the COVID, but it's not going anywhere either. I mean, there are new podcast shows coming up and uh, being uploaded almost every day. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of competition for us to to vie for people's like ear time. I guess is how you would say it. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping we uh, talk about some good films that um, people like listening to, and uh, you folks don't go away. But let's get to tonight's film, Prospect. You want to kick it off? I mean, this is going to be interesting because it, I don't, did you even know about this before I, I talked to you about it? Oh yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, I had seen the box art and, uh, this was not my first watch. So I, I had seen this before and I had just come across it. Um, actually, you know what? I think Randy might have suggested this a long time. ago. That is how I heard about it. And then as soon as, um, the 4k it was one of those when the 4k came out i was like well i love randy i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spend that yet but when it went on sale that's when i picked it up and it's like yeah we need to talk about this yeah i think that's the same for me uh so we're talking about prospect um it's got kind of a festival release of march 5th of 2018 um it gets a kind of a exclusive to regal cinema even then it's kind of weird because it looks like it's only released in one country. We'll get to that too. Uh, with, so that was in November of 2018. 
Um, and then it's got a reported budget of somewhere less than $4 million. It, they can't really nail it down. It just says less than $4 million. So it could be $1 or it could be three point. <laughs> I, I think it was closer to four because yeah, it, it's when we talk about production and development, I mean, it, um, it, it got its money because of a, a short 14 minute film yep. from 2014, I think. Well, uh, yeah. And it, I mean, it's 4 million is it, it, either way. 4 million is impressive. Um, it makes about 22.7 K in the theater. And again, uh, box office mojo just has it in the, uh, in the Emirates. So like, yeah, it's, it's weird. So the domestic, no internet, no domestic, just worldwide of 22.7 K. Um, but Troy, yeah, the people who did see it liked it a lot. So critically it's a, uh, an 89%. Oh, okay. Uh, with the critics and then a 74% with the audience. There's over a thousand reviews on Rotten Tomatoes from the audience, which I found to be, that's shocking. Yeah, uh, because again, this is a uh, a film that seems to be flying under the radar. Um, yeah, I, so I'll be honest. See- I don't. I didn't hear Randy talked about it. I mean, that's how we hear about a lot of these films. Most to be quite things, honest, yeah. we're we're lucky enough to know him. Um, and and when he reps for something, he, he's batting a thousand. To be quite honest, is yeah yeah uh but i this is something that nobody really talks about even within our circle to be quite all uh, to be quite honest yeah and, i mean we yeah it's not like our circle isn't filled with a bunch of film nerds right. um <laughs> so what i what i did is i decided just to say what were the films that came out november of 2018 just to kind of do a little look back because i thought oh this is actually interesting so 2018 mm-hmm. which is five years ago we had bohemian rhapsody nobody's fool the Nutcracker and the Four Realms, which is considered one of the biggest bombs of all time, I believe. Um, Warlord or Overlord, I'm sorry, which I like. The Girl in the Spider's Web, a new dragon tattoo story, which so that's the sequel to. Uh, uh, well, yeah, it's kind, it's kind of pseudo sequel. It's thing. the fourth book in the Millennium series, but yeah, yeah. that's that's one I think we're going to talk about it one. We mentioned we'll it, to. yeah, when we we talked about that David Fincher one, but uh, a film that I've seen no less than five thousand times is Doctor Seuss's The Grinch. That's with Benedict Cumberbatch voicing the Grinch. Oh, okay. Green Book, Widows, Instant Family, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, Creed Two, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Robin Hood, and The Front Runner. Huh. A lot of stuff came out November of 2018. So Star Wars Rogue One, that was 2016, right? I believe you're. I think I think that's right. Okay, yeah, I only bring that up because uh, a lot of the box art. I thought it was interesting. Um, Variety had said this is what the standalone Star Wars movies should feel like. Mm. So I think they're they're calling out. you know, some of these side stories like solo rogue one, et cetera. So, okay. Okay. Um, what else? I, I wish I had a, a movie guide, but there, there is no movie. Guide oh, darn it. it. So. Yeah, pagan I, worldviews. Pa- wait, pagan intergalactic views. Galactic world. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I, Hey, let's talk about the people behind the camera in front of the camera. We'll start with, um, our directors. 
Actually, this is written and directed by Zeke Earl and Chris Caldwell. So you you made this comment earlier. They really haven't done anything since this film. So yeah. they've done four to five short films. Um, I think Zeke did four, Chris did five. And that ranged from 2011 to 2019. Now in 2014, they did a 14-minute um, a film called Prospect, which was the inspiration for this. More on that in a minute. But uh, Prospect from 2018 is really the only thing that's on their filmography as a full-blown film. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's it's like they fell off the earth, uh, at, or I don't know, fell off the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it, now, this is the other thing. This film has 19 producing credits. Uh, a lot of producers and executive producers. Do you know what the difference between those two are? I, I honestly, I don't. Okay. So I had to, I had to look this up to remember our, I think a, a good friend of ours, uh, Michael Neal had explained this to me one time, but it was over drinks. So I barely remembered it. So I had to go refresh my memory. Um, the producer handles onset logistics, management and supervision. Okay? okay. So think of him almost like a project manager. The executive producer deals more with offset issues like negotiating contracts communicating with investors or studios and maintaining the business face of production. So uh, anytime you see a producer or an executive producer, you can think of it as the producer is on set handling everything and the executive producer is working behind the scenes, typically with the administrative um, aspect of it, as well as the money. And it took 19 people. So you would be a producer. I'm an executive producer. That's probably how it would work. Yes. Okay. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, 19 people, had to share that role in order to get this thing across the finish line. Um, now I wonder, does that have anything to do with it being financed? And I don't want to step on your toes, but finance coming from like a Canadian. Oh, I, I, yeah, I think, I think you had a bunch of people, an army of people trying to get money together for this. Yeah. Um, and then when we talk about the making of it, it seemed like it was a pretty complicated process. Uh, because they were really going for this big world building um, set that had a lot of detail. I mean, a lot of detail. We'll mm -hmm. probably talk about that when we talk about the film. Um, cinematography. So Zeke Earl also did the cinematography on this. So he has three credits on there. Director, um, writing for screenplay and cinematography. And editing was done by Paul Frank. So uh, one last person I want to mention. Production design by Matt Acosta. I think that'll come into play when we talk about this film. Most definitely. Yes. Now, in front of the camera, the cast, I'm only going to mention three people. The first, and and she really is the focal point of this because everything's kind of told through her perspective. It's Sophie Thatcher. She plays the character of C. Um, she's younger. I, I do remember her. I don't know if you ever caught the Exorcist TV series. She played the young Reagan. I did. I know her as Nat on uh, Yellow Jackets. Which okay. Plug for Yellow Jackets. If you haven't seen Yellow Jackets, watch Yellow Jackets. It's one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Yeah. Last year, she was in The Boogeyman, um, which was a horror film. Mm -hmm. uh, the only other thing I remember her from was The Book of Boba Fett, the Disney Plus oh, yeah, miniseries. Trash or trash? Drash. Drash. <laughs> Not trash. Well, her, that whole, that whole yeah. character yeah, was trash. She's more like thrash. Yeah. yeah. She was a space biker kid that yeah. on those things that didn't really go fast. Um, but yeah. So... I, up and comer, you would say that more recent. I think so. Um, 
Yellow Jackets, you I would think would be a jumping off point for, but you know, you would say that about like the people in the Game of Thrones, and then they show up in a, a movie, and you're like, mm, this isn't working. So <laughs> let's hope so. Okay, uh, we got Pedro Pascal as Ezra. Now we talked about him in in great length. We talked about the unbearable weight, a massive talent from episode 130. And he's had a pretty good year. Um, Last of Us TV show, which was a big hit, both critically yes. and with the audiences. And um, Mandalorian. I mean, he's been doing that since 2019. Probably, I'm just my two cents, it should have ended season two. I think that had the perfect story arc, the perfect closure. If you were going to do anything with a Mandalorian, it really should have been something else. Like they should have just... Or maybe they should have thought about season three a little bit longer and, and really come up with something that actually happens. Uh, yeah, and that that is true too. I was trying to be nice about it and just go. You had a perfect two seasons with closure. No, I mean they did. Yeah. They they literally had a perfect two seasons. Uh, the other name I want to mention is Jay Duplass um, as Damon. So he's an American filmmaker, actor, and author, widely known for his films: uh, The Puffy Chair from 2005, Cyrus in 2010 and Jeff, who lives at home at 2011, mm -hmm. which he made in collaboration with his younger brother, Mark Duplass. Is it Duplass? Yep. Duplass. Duplass, yep. okay. So he and his brother are associated with the mumblecore subgenre independent film. And you do you, you know mumblecore, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, mumblecore is characterized by naturalistic acting and sometimes improvised dialogue. It usually involves very low budgets and an emphasis on dialogue over plot. And I, I would say of the, of the films that I've seen, it's always just interrelationships between young, young adults. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. It's, you know, it's a subgenre of like the independent film, but yeah, it's a lot of uh, relationship stuff. Um, I know like Baghead is one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, if you ever saw that movie creep, that's another mumblecore, but that's a horror film. Yeah. There's two yeah. of those, I think. Yeah. And yeah, those are both, I think fantastic films. Um, you know, they're, the scope is very small, um, because they're working with pretty much no money. Um, your cast is usually really small. Um, and then the a main lot of focus unknowns. is, yeah, a lot of unknowns and your main focus is usually on, the male and female characters going through some sort of, you know, relationship, but you know, they improvise a ton of dialogue. Like you said, um, I, I like Mumblecore at points at other times. I find it insufferable. Um, a good one is, is often pretty fantastic, but some of those bad ones are really terrible. Um, if you don't like any of the characters and you're basically hanging around five people, it can be hard to watch. That's, that's a long run time. So it's funny yeah. you brought a couple titles up. I did not know this. There's a subgenre of mumblecore called mumble gore. Gore, yep. Yeah, so that's the, it's really just mumblecore, but it concentrates on the horror genre. Mm -hmm. So you talked about the creep films. Baghead is another one. A couple of other films that I've seen that showed up on the list, uh, House of the Devil. So Ty West is usually associated with that. Oh, yeah, you know, I wouldn't have put, the, but yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, A Horrible Way to Die is another one. Um, okay. That's pretty good. It, it It's really interesting. Like this is, this is why I love independent film so much. You get these little mo movements, right? Um, that mm -hmm. really just, I don't know, produce some really interesting stuff. So I, would you, would you consider this a mumble core sci-fi? I almost was thinking about that when we were talking about, like, I think it's mumble, mumble fi, mumble fi. Okay. We got yeah. mumble gore, mumble fi. Okay. Production and development. 
So Zeke Earl and Chris Caldwell melt, uh, met at the Seattle Pacific University. They formed the production company Shep Films and initially made commercials before making short films. They first produced Prospect as a short film with a $21,000 budget, which they raised through Kickstarter. So that's how they did the first short. Okay. The short drew attention after premiering at the 2014 South by Southwest Film Festival, ultimately becoming a hit on Vimeo. After that, they wanted to make Prospect into a feature-length film. The duo presented the pitch to studios and secured a $4 million financing contract from the Canadian Bronze Studios. So apparently most of the money came from that source. They wanted seven months to make the film's ships, costumes, and weapons. For that, they moved into a former shipbuilding warehouse in Fremont, Seattle. Now, here's a, here's a quote from Caldwell. We hired a lot of people who never worked on a movie before, industrial designers, carpenters, mechanics, cosplayers. They were working with us as the script was being written, and by the time we got the green light, we had this kind of art collective under one roof. So the production team used a computer numeric control kit to create much of the ship's interiors, and all of the exterior shots were actually filmed on a private land trust adjacent to the Olympic National Park in Washington. Okay. It's it's very interesting they've they they bring that up about, you know, who they had working on this uh industrial designers and carpenters and mechanics. like everything has like a very analog feel to it like it's futuristic but analog almost in like a alien sort of way yeah i i think the best way to describe it is if if you think about um star wars episode one which some of you would say i don't want to think about that but you know give credit where it's due uh what they tried to do within that production design was kind of create um a different feel but almost make the technology Art Deco-ish, I guess is a better way to say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like this is dirty Art Deco, um, a lot of the stuff that's in there. And, okay. and we'll talk about that when we get to the, I guess, our thoughts on the film. Because I think that world building actually plays a pretty important part in um, whether or not you enjoy it. Like, okay. I'll, I'll just... I'll just be honest and say I did enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, how about we take a quick break? When we come back, we're going to share our thoughts on um, this little sci-fi Western prospect. So stay tuned. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Now is not human. But, but, but it, it, it does not. No. Some thing is watching, waiting, and wanting on Saturn 3. Saturn 3, Certificate A, in the West End from Thursday. Read the exciting story in Sphere Paperback at booksellers everywhere.
Okay, Brad. So not a first time watch for you. It was for me. So you've okay. seen this a couple of times? Uh, just once. Oh, okay. When I first got it. So what'd you think? Uh, I, I really enjoy this. Um, just getting into it straight ahead. Yeah. Uh, the characters especially C, which is the, with Sophie Thatcher. I really like her. Um, and then Pedro Pascal is Ezra. I think he comes across as a villain at first and then, you know, he has to sort of make a turn. Um, yeah, I, I really like, I really like the design and the look and the feel of this, of this movie. Um, like I was saying before, like everything kind of like has a tactile feel. They're turning a lot of buttons and things just work and it looks kind of like like space truckery in a way that's kind of why i brought up like aliens um no it does like the the detail's amazing yeah like it's dirty and grimy but it works um they're doing a lot of tricks um because they only have four million dollars like they are hiding a lot of um a lot of things that you would normally see like oh there's a big ship but we're only going to show this one part of it. Um, but we'll look out the window and show, you know, a little piece of something else. Um, when they get on the ground, it's very, uh, kind of, we filmed this in someone's backyard kind of feel, (laughs) but you know, it, it all works and it's, it's all in service of a story that I think is really intriguing and the world building that they have on, like, I am curious on so many things that are happening in this film, like there's this weird race of people that have like kind of these boxes on their head. And one lady like doesn't talk, but like singing kind of comes out of her voice, like is a, like, like uh vocalized through like women singing and stuff. Um, do you, do you get the impression? So uh, I, I mean, there's that infamous story of, I, I don't know if Coppola locked George Lucas in an addict and said, write screenplay and he comes down with like 15 movies and he goes, no, 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 start here. You know, just do this one thing. Yeah. Do you get the feeling that the original screenplay to this was like 700 pages or something? Cause what, what is the rule of thumb? Like AP, a page equals a, a minute of screen. A minute, time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they, they wrote so much backstory and so much about the rules of the world mm-hmm. and then tried to capture you know, the other 500 pages within the details of the props and the sets and everything. I I think, I I think that is a valid way of looking at it. I, I don't think this just comes about like organically. I think you're, you're, you have to sort of build this world like that. Um, now is it 500 pages? I don't know, but it definitely, there is things going on that we are not privy to, but it's there. And, um, like there's a guy, who's a prisoner. He's like in a box and you're just like, okay, like that would, to me, that's like the equivalent of like in empire strikes back where they just pan over and you see all the bounty hunters. You're like, Oh, I want to know about, you know, IG 88 or whatever. Um, so it's got all that stuff going on, but again, we're talking about it in the, in the scope of like the film and like it does when you brought up Mumblecore, I was like, Oh yeah, completely. This is like a Mumblecore sci-fi film. Um, because the whole crux of the film, well, not the whole crux, but you know, after 
the first act is C and Ezra's sort of relationship um, and their sort of hero's journey that they go on. Um, it's very funny that, you know, Pedro Pascal would then go on to play like, uh, you know, Joel in The Last of Us. Or know, The Mandalorian. Yeah, or Mandalorian where he's yeah. like protecting, you know, he's playing this role of protector. Um, you know, there's some really gnarly stuff that goes on in here. Um, there's a whole subplot about mining. They're they're basically prospecting, and this is why it's called prospect is they're prospecting. They talk about basically like a gold rush that's happening. Um or or has happened. Like when when you yeah. talk about the people on the planet, I get I get this feeling that it was not inhabited by anybody. And the gold they're rush they're basically leftovers from Yeah, the gold know, rush. Because I think the first thing they walk across is a skeleton with this old spacesuit more or less yeah yeah and um they they mine these egg sacks for this yeah. ore um which there's a lot of detail in how they do it and all the rules etc yeah. which kind of yeah i i was i was curious in the beginning why they would go through that detail but it actually has a payoff towards um the back end yep but yeah i i the reason why i ask about that 500 pages because i feel like every scene there is almost 40 pages of script or description behind that scene to explain why that certain things are where they, where why they that are. astronaut is, is laying dead within a um, skeleton, why they run across mm. people who have pretty much set up a generator and are, are trying to barter for C. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's, there's all these little um, plots or hints at a plot or hints at this world or universe. Yeah. They, a grander universe. Yeah. That they, they touch on, but they, they just assume you as a viewer know what's going on and, and know the whole history of it. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the, the suits. Cause I love a good spacesuit design. Yeah. And this one has a bunch of things. They have like the air filters obviously, but then, you know, they have to eat and they have to keep their helmets on. So they have to have someone else help them put their pouch oh, like on the, the back. So they baby food stuff. Yep. And then, you know, and then the big glass, like I love Ezra's big glass dome. He has, it looks really cool. So everything is designed really well. Um, it just, it has a cool look to it, but even the Mercs the story, at the end had a really, they, every, yeah. everybody has a different design of a suit more mm -hmm. or less. Yeah. I, I mean, but the, I don't want to like, move over the story and say, Oh, the story is just in service of all this cool looking stuff. Like, I think the story really is serviceable and, and really shows up. Like the girl who plays C is really good. Like really good. She um, is and of course, such an interesting character. Yeah. And of course, Pedro, like we know he is going to be excellent. Um, and even like Jay Duplass as Damon, like he's kind of an asshole. So when he gets his, you're like, Oh, you know, good i didn't really like him that much but it's like his so was was he a drug addict yeah i think he was a drug i think he had the mom had died so yeah. i assumed like he was doing drugs to kind of help with the depression like he couldn't sleep so something must have happened maybe his faults um and he had to kind of numb the pain of that every night um yeah so there's even like those things where the story is that really explained so you can kind of come up with your own justification but yeah i, I took the i took it that he was a, a drug addict and it made him sort of an asshole and, and maybe kind of bitter <laughs> towards his of. daughter yeah yeah no he, uh, he you're absolutely right i mean he he has moments where you're like all right jerk father but then there's there's these other sweet sort of tender um exchanges 
it I'll tell you this. He doesn't have a lot of screen time on it, but he really owns that character and there's an authenticity to it. But I think it's a combination of the fact that the the directors are this is one of those films that you just have to go in knowing you're not going to know everything, but the director's going to assume you are either going to know it or the things that you don't know, you'll make your own conclusion about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or maybe like it's going to, it's it, going it to rely on you. Mat- like the stuff that you don't know ultimately doesn't matter to the story that we're in. Or you can make an assumption and fill in the blanks and whatever yeah. you assume is going to be fine. Cause it's not yep. going to affect the, the, the story as a whole. Yeah. It's almost kind of choose your own adventure that yeah. way. I, I, I don't, I don't want to like discriminate it or, or like, like devalue what they are doing here, but it, there is like this whole, you sort of fill in the blanks. Um, your, your empire strikes back analogy is the perfect analogy. When you see Dengar and boss and IGA, you're like, who are those guys? Boba Fett, like they became so popular. Boba Fett to have his own show. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think that I, I wanted IG 88. It's, but okay. Anyways. Um, but you, you all of a sudden can see why all the fan fiction and the bounty hunter novels and stuff like that came out of just this little senior exchange. And this movie feels like that whole sequence in Empire Strikes Back, but as an entire film, there's mm-hmm. always something in the background that you'll you'll look at and see the guy in the box. You're like, what was all that about, and why is why is he like got this red cakey red stuff tits, all over? Him? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, uh, you know, I I think um, like I threw it on the other night and was again just kind of enthralled with everything that happens and and sort of how they pulled off a complete story with like feels with like bubble gum and hope like they're just kind of strapping <laughs> little stuff duct tape together here there. yeah it's like and, and ultimately that doesn't make a good film or not but i think it's a good film and on the limitations of what they had it's even more impressive like i I really like this a lot. Like it is a complete story uh, with really interesting characters, really good world building. I mean, this is like, if you were to write like a class on how to do world building, like this would be one of the first things I would show is like, look at this. Like you don't need to have someone sit here and explain to you how the food packet works. Just like show it like just, I didn't you know, know how the gun thing worked. Um, yeah. They got to put the bullets in, and I guess uh, the rifle. Uh-huh. They got to spin the cartridge or something. They keep calling it a thrower. Yeah, thrower. Yeah. yeah or they, like they have to like tube themselves together at one point in time. Because oh, his filters the, broke know. or something. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, like just show that to me. I, I, I'll be on board. Just show it to me. And yeah. So I, 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 I yeah, I, I think this is a, is a great film and, and something, you know, if you like, like me who likes science fiction and you're into like all that, like the helmets, you know, the, the helmets ultimately <laughs> don't matter, but it's a cool. I helmet. like how you're like, if it has a good helmet, I'm in. Thumbs I mean, it, like that is sort of like a good thing to have, like Prometheus, some of the best helmets. Now they take them off, which you're like, don't do that. But, um, so were you upset yeah. in the sequel to that? Was it covenant that they just show up in like winter coats? Oh yeah. 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 Don't, don't get me started on that one. Oh, okay. No, you're the attention to detail in this thing is freaking crazy. So first of all, the film has its own language. It literally has its own. Now, what I mean by that is 
they're they're talking in English, but all of the written words are in this entirely different um, like just symbols is what it almost like almost hieroglyphics. Yeah. Um, and oh yeah, because like when she is writing in her book. It's like, I, at first I thought it was math and then I was like, oh, Troy's going to hate this. And then I was like, no, oh, that's not math. <laughs> no, it wasn't math. It was, it was, it almost, it, I guess the best way to describe it, um, is it's almost like Egyptian hieroglyphics, but not as mm-hmm. fancy. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but then everything, I mean, everything down to the instruction manuals that they're referencing for, uh, you know, docking at a station, or operating their their little spaceship. Even the pillboxes have this old. Um, it it looks like it went through a whole marketing uh, department who came up with this great little visual, only to be used on a pillbox. And it just from that one image, you go, "Oh, that's some type of narcotic that releases some euphoria," and you get that from that little image. Yeah, or his like first aid, like the kit, the field kit that he uses. Like, oh yeah everything in there like makes sense. You understand why it's there and how it works and everything. And like you're saying, I, you wonder like, did they write the, did they, did they just write out the full instructions to do that, to kind of help fill in that? If they, if they were in a warehouse together as an art collective for seven months, they were creating this stuff. They, they didn't hire. I mean, that's one thing to keep in mind is, uh, when I watched it, and I'm like, the attention to detail, the props, the production design, it is on a whole nother level from a Hollywood studio. And then when you go and read that they recruited people to do this stuff outside of the Hollywood studio system, to your point earlier, you made a comment that everything feels like it is a realistic but archaic future version of something, mm-hmm. even their rifles or pistols, right? And they don't explain any of the technology. To your point, they just show it. But it's the level of detail that is within every document, within every tool, like even how they how they do the mining aspect of it. Um, it the technology that they're using feels like an evolution of what we use today, but it would be by a bunch of people who are living on the outskirts of the universe, and it's used. It's they probably got it from like the Goodwill store on Mars. <laughs> yeah. Um, but oh, that's it, all secondhand for sure. Absolutely, and and that's why I said like the the Star Wars films. I, I'm I'm a big fan yeah, it's of all very like blue collar. Oh, that's a great way to say it. yeah. The the Star Wars films I think did a pretty good job of between the technology on Tatooine in Episode One versus on Naboo stuff like that. You got different varies of, of of technology, but you saw technology that was more regal versus your technology which is like blue collar. Blue collar. Yep. Yeah. So this is all blue collar technology. Um, in the film, I hate saying this, like I read one review that says, well, the film's low budget was obviously put to good use and keeping, you know, the characters, uh, minimalized and you're concentrating on this. And I'm thinking, yeah, but if you told me this thing cost $4 million and I've looked at something like the creator, uh, and this film, which didn't have huge budgets, but what's on screen looked like they did have huge budgets. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying yeah. this was a hundred million dollar budget film. Yeah, th- and throw in like Godzilla minus one, and and those these three films like are textbook on how to make a brilliant looking film and not spend three hundred million dollars. Yeah, and and you know even works outside the studio to a certain degree and go, 
half of that stuff that's in this film, I wouldn't be surprised if it actually worked in some capacity. Yeah. Um, because they, it, it looks like they designed it as a practical tool versus a Hollywood prop. Like there are some things you see in a sci-fi film. I'm, I'm thinking about like this old movie Saturn three with Kirk Douglas, Farrah Fawcett, Harvey Keitel. Did you ever oh, see that? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I just remember that film seeing it as a kid and going, Oh, it's kind of cool because of some of the technology and stuff you see, it looks hokey, but at the end of the day, it looks like a Hollywood studio designed that stuff. Mm-hmm. This one looks like I could, if I could get a hold of that stuff, I could go and mine on some planet light years away. It absolutely looks like that. Spacesuits included. I agree with you. Spacesuits are awesome. <laughs> um, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about C, that character. Okay, yeah. Uh, so Sophie is amazing in it. I think what's amazing is the screenplay gives her these little moments of dialogue that give you some insight into her backstory, which kind of explains how she is able to handle herself um, as just this young woman in space. Right. So they like threw her in like old, like she had to cut up stuff. And so they just kind of threw her in the, carcasses so yeah they would kill an animal and because she was small enough they would stick her in the stomachs of these creatures to cut out their organs and so she would spend you know at the end of the day just trying to get the blood out of her hair yeah she said it took like an hour to get the blood out of my hair yeah so it what's amazing is you you get this really strong character out of the gate and it's through the course of the film in these kind of stories that all of a sudden you start to understand her but it's never the director or the character or anybody else telling you they're actually showing you through the way she acts or even her recounting these events. The other really story, the the story she tells that I, I thought was really interesting is she's writing a book. So at the beginning you see her kind of, you think it's a journal, but what she's actually doing is she's writing a novel and it's a memory of a book she read, but she doesn't have a copy anymore. So she's trying to um, write it down as she remembers it. But she's adding new things to the book that she read to make her feel like she's a part of that story. Mm-hmm. So there is so much to unpack there psychologically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's and it's those little things with her character that make me think like, oh my gosh, these these guys could teach a screenwriting class Absolutely. On, on how to do character development through some very interesting exchanges. Um, and you don't have to just like explain it to me. Which makes me even more upset that this comes out in 2018 <laughs> and these guys have not done anything. Like if I was a studio, I wouldn't give them all the money in the world, but I would say, look, I saw what you did with, $4 million. Here's $15 million. We're going to actually back this. Yeah. People are going to see it. Make me something like this here. Take a year and make me something like this. I, I agree. I mean, um, sh- Sophie Thatcher just really makes this thing work. I love Pedro Pascal in it. I think he's good. I just don't think he's as interesting as her. Oh yeah. I mean, the focus is on her. It, it is, um, man, I can't believe. So this is the first film in a long time where I've actually, because most of the time when we talk about these movies, I'm like, man, it's 10 minutes too long. It's 15 minutes too long. Like cut 30 minutes out of it. When this was over, and I know there's, and I haven't had time to watch it. There's some deleted scenes and I'm curious what they are. But after this was done, I'm thinking, 
I think it's missing 10 minutes somewhere. So the only, the only criticism I would have is I feel like it needs just one more event to create an exchange between C and Ezra. Um, I feel like they get to the trust moment a little too quickly in their relationship. Like I, I almost, I, and maybe it's just this, their relationship is so interesting. I just want more. And maybe it's not a criticism. I just, I just wanted another 10 minutes of this film to kind of go give, give me another event like um, in that hut of those people they stumble across where they're both tested and you get to see, you know, C and Ezra do something that brings out another backstory, another character detail. But yeah, I, 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 I haven't run across their... a movie that said, give me more. Yeah. Like... <laughs> their accelerated relationship as at first as a necessity. And that's kind of how, but I, I agree with you. Like if we got 20 more minutes of this, I wouldn't be disappointed. I wouldn't either. I, I actually think it, like I would have. even think I would like to get a little bit more moments with the father at the beginning and have their relationship kind of become him more of an antagonist. Um, but I, I don't think you can do that because you want his death to feel to do, you know, you want to feel his death a little bit. So if he's a complete asshole, that doesn't work. Um, I, I think they find the right balance to him actually with that extra 10 minutes. I would have loved a little bit more like how she gets these really two powerful moments talking about that book and then also just kind of being shoved into the stomach <laughs> of an animal. Like give me a, a moment like that of Ezra that uh, tells me a little bit more about him because because yeah, he's got this weird like his the way he speaks is very like it is old Western. It's frontiersman. Yeah. It's yeah. really weird. So like, what is his deal? But again, I'm almost like, yeah, I don't really care. I don't really care that one of these bounty hunters is a weird looking <laughs> robot. Like I don't care, but oh, I know. They gave and, me more. and the only, the only downside to that is if you did do one that, of them's a wolf, I don't really, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's that moment where she asks him, would you really have traded me? And there's this pause uh-huh. and he's like, well, no. And when he says that, I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if I believe you. So I, I guess I took it as him being offended. I don't know, but that's the cool thing about it. Right. So yeah. if we had that other scene, we might have been able to interpret that answer more concrete. And, and maybe, would you want that answer? Yeah. But maybe without it. Okay. I take back my criticism. Like it's fine. Um, because the, the less you know about Ezra probably is good because you don't know if you actually would sell her out at any moment. Yeah. Cause even at the end, like there's always a, is he just going to sell her out at the very end? Like even with no arm and him kind of being up against the wall, like, is this the moment where he sells her out? Uh, that That's a good point. So I was thinking about this, like the, the film has this bleak and harsh attitude and you feel like anybody could die at any moment. Like I truly believe that. Um, it's not quite a horror film, but it has that element of tension almost in every scene. Like what's yeah, going to happen dread, right? for sure. Yeah. Dread. And so I think Earl and Caldwell do a good job of always keeping that underlying tension present. And the fact, so exactly what you said, I don't know if she's going to turn on him or he's going to turn on her or, um, I, I like that aspect of it, even to the final scene when you get the resolution and she, ha- she and him both make a decision, and you see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't know about you, it felt authentic, but there's always still some tension like, yeah, but something else could, could happen. happen. Um, I, you know, when they're both with the guy finally gets out of his cell yeah. and they're both standing there, there's a thought like one of these, one of these two could push the other one to like sacrifice them to, so they can get oh, on, know. you know, the escape. Yeah. I mean, that's always there too. So they're, yeah, it's even as their relationship does grow, there is that dread or the disbelief that maybe it's not authentic as, as the audience would want to believe. And, and well, one it's, of them a, it's, could, a, it's probably authentic given the circumstance that you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I think you're right. I, Hey, look, I honestly, from a, from a plot perspective or story, there's nothing new here. It is a Western motif and a heavy sci-fi film, but man, I, I don't know about you. I feel like it's so unique that it sets itself apart from the Western sci-fi genre, just from the detail, the attention to detail, um, see as this character in her relationship with both her father and, and, um, uh, Ezra, Ezra. Yeah. And, this bleak, harsh attitude, this tension that's always there. I'm, I really wish, uh, both Earl and Caldwell would make another one of these. I know. I know. Yeah. And, and we were talking about like the weird people that wanted to trade stuff and yeah. get a little girl back. Like what's up with that? But yeah, you're, you're right. Like it's, it's all the things around the accoutrement, if you will. Oh, uh, we got fancy <laughs> in 2021. Yeah. Uh, 24, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's everything around this film, like on the periphery that elevate an already good story to like a great story. Yeah. Again, not wholly original, but it, it definitely benefits from all the little buttons and knobs and everything in this film. So, yeah, I mean, it, it borrows probably from every sci-fi and Western that came, uh, you know, before it. Mm-hmm. But somehow it takes all of those ingredients and puts it in the pot, mixes it, and it becomes something extremely unique. And I think it leans heavy into a narrative style that you just don't see uh, in films anymore, which is you got to trust your audience to keep up and you don't have to spoon feed them everything. And Yeah, ab and, absolutely. And quite honestly, you can, you can let them kind of write off and make their own fan fiction about that family who wanted to barter for C and everything else. I mean, it, 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 I love that analogy. I mean, it, it's pretty much an hour and 40 minutes of taking that scene in star Wars. Like who are those guys and going, okay, we're going to give you an entire movie like that. Yeah. Yeah. So just to let everyone know, vinegar syndrome still has the limited edition slip case. Oh no, they don't. That no. one's out of, out of, it's just the regular, I, you but can, the regular yeah. is a lot. There's a lot in stock. So if you, are interested and you want to see this, um, I would say go to vinegar syndrome. It's on sale right now at the time of recording it's like 30 so, bucks, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good for their, I mean, a lot of their stuff can run you a lot of money. Um, so check it out if, if you're interested And in, I mean, there's, we've talked a lot about the plot, but we've, we've kind of hovered over and, and kind of jumped over a lot of the big pieces. So, uh, we didn't really spoil much. No, there's a lot so. of surprises still. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So if you go to if you go to Vinegar Syndrome, you'll get the 4K and the Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. So both are in there. The 4K looks gorgeous. It's got a five-one soundtrack, which sounds amazing. Um, the special features are pretty stacked. I, I do want to spend some time. I didn't have time to go through it, but you you can see the short film version from 2014. That's on there. 
they do have some deleted scenes. They have a behind-the-scenes featurette. Um, there's filmmaker introduction. There's commentary. So if if you watch this film and you go, man, I really want to do a deep dive into all things prospect, this this is the way to go with it. So absolutely, um, yep. I'm, I'm kind of kicking myself for sitting on it as long as we did. I I know it's been on our list for a while, but I, I feel yeah, like it's been, it was like one of the films that we talked about at the very beginning. Cause Randy, like we said, Randy had pushed it on us. And so we added it to the list and we're just now getting to it. Sorry, Randy. I know. All right. Well, Brad, uh, I guess the question is 2018's prospect. Is it a bomb? Um, I would say it is not a bomb Troy. And I would, I don't know if I put it on the Mount Rushmore of, of films that we want to push, but it's definitely up there pretty high with like, like the, uh, Brigsby bear love and monsters sort of deal. I think it's maybe below those, but it's definitely up there. Ones I would really, really highly recommend to people. Yeah. I I'm with you. If, if, if Brigsby bear love and monsters is like the a plus, this is probably an a or a minus category. Mm-hmm. It, yep. I mean, if we're, you know, assigning a grade to it, but I, I agree with you hundred um, percent. We should at some point make a list and say, we've done 186 episodes which are the ones that are still criminally underseen that everybody needs to seek out and look at? And it's probably that A plus to A minus tier. Mm-hmm. This is definitely one of those. For sure. For sure. Well, uh, how about some feedback? I, I know you've got some really cool feedback before you share um, oh, yes. something that we promised. Uh, speaking of Randy, he has um, been sending me tons of messages daily saying, uh, have you seen Poor Things yet with Emma Stone? Um, apparently, he's repping for this very hard. So uh, have you seen it yet, Brad? I have not seen it yet. It's the prop That and Past Lives are, are the two films left from 23 that I need to see. I'll probably have to wait on Poor Things because it's not really showing around me. I got a feeling I'm going to have to go see it this week or else he's going to disown me yeah, as a he's friend. Gonna, yeah. Um, yep. Another couple of things that came our way. I... I'm not going to read the full uh, emails and everything we gave us, but our good friend Tom sent us an email and wanted everybody to know that Garth Marenghi, creator Matthew Holness, um, wrote and directed the mystery horror Possum in 2018. Speaking of independent films from 2018, have you seen Possum yet? I have not. I think it's on Shudder. That's how I saw it. I think that's how I saw it. Or Amazon Prime. it, It is available on streaming. It is crazy. I will check it out. Yeah. Uh, and definitely get both of the Garth Marenghi books. Um, if we were making a list of the coolest things that we discovered in 2023, I think that television show. Uh, oh, would be. Yes. That'd, that'd be yes. probably number one. For well, me. and also like you were here with me and we watched it together. So that, <laughs> that was know, that amazing. Helps. That yeah. was a highlight. Uh, last but not least, I got to have, I got to do a shout out to our good friend, Matt from the mixtape podcast. So, he had listened to our last episode of Breaking Brad when we talked about Kirk Cameron saving Christmas. And he he starts off with this whole, um, hey, unfortunately, Family Force 5 is a real band. I've listened to them in my Christian rock days. And yes, that is a time in my life that exists. So we go through this entire exchange because for me, you know, the only Christian music I knew about was Striper, right? The eighties glam hair band. He educated me on this whole Weezer pop punk, uh, subgenre of it, new metal, um, death metal, Christian music, which is great. The ska, did you know there's ska Christian music? 
Oh my god. Yeah. So, so I want um, horns and Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, mixtape is going to do an episode on all of these genres in Christian music. Uh, he says they they don't know when they're putting it together. But uh, Matt, if you're listening to this, you now need to do it like sooner than later because yeah. you you blew my mind today with all of this feedback about just all these subgenres of Christian music and um I got I got to hear your take on this man. So uh with that, I'm going to kick it over to you because you have I'm kind of excited about this. This is the listener version of the best of and worst of 2023, right? Yeah, so essentially what I I just got feedback from people and and compiled a list um and listeners can only uh, submit one film, but I will name off all the ones that at least got two votes. So oh, if your okay. film got a, more than one, if you were more than, if you were somebody else uh, that, that said a film was the best of the year, it made the list. Um, and we have a lot, Troy. Okay. Uh, here we go. We have Oppenheimer, Barbie. These are, these are the best, right? Yes. These okay. are the best. Oppenheimer, Barbie, Godzilla minus one, Anatomy of a Fall, which is another film I need to add to my list. Um, Holdovers. Okay. Indiana Jones, Dial of the De- Dial of Destiny, which I was surprised to see that on here. But uh, good for you. No, but go ahead. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, a Haunting in Venice. Oh, Michelle Yeoh. All right, I like yeah, it. The, the Creator. Okay. Talk to me. Uh, Past Lives. Talk I to mean, me. Talk to me uh, the, real quick. Talk to me showed up on so many best of lists in 2023. Mm-hmm. I was super excited to see. I love it. But I'm I'm so glad that that another movie film got, we watched together. I know, but I'm I'm so excited that that film got as much love as it did, just like from other critics. It was it was really yeah, good. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Past Lives, uh, Spider Verse, mm-hmm. Dead Reckoning, Troy. Ooh, and yeah. then Renfield. Renfield. All got, yeah, all got at least two votes. I love it. <clears throat> okay, here's the worst of, and I will say two. Got only one vote, but I will bring them up because I think someone is trolling. But here we go. <laughs> okay. The big winner, which was almost unanimous, uh, The Exorcist Believer. Yeah, that was my Pretty number one. was like 90% of the people. Uh, we also had The Flash. Okay. And then two people sent in a film called In the Fire. In the Fire. Um, I had not heard of it, but we had two people send it in. Um, and... I will tell you that Amber Heard is in it. Uh-oh. And that's about it. But it had a box office. I think it had a box office of, yeah, $21,000 was his box office. Two of our listeners saw it. So, and it's a 2023 film. It's a 2023 film. Is it a uh, thriller or comedy? It's a thriller film. Okay. Uh, it premiered and it came out in October. No, looks like it was in a festival in June released in the United States in October. Uh, here it is. A doctor travels to a remote plantation to care for a boy who's has unexplainable abilities. Oh, but, uh, yeah. So it made $21,000 and two of our listeners saw it and it was their worst film of the year. I was like, what are the odds? So your worst film was skin of a rink. Did anybody vote uh-huh. for that one? No one said Skinnerick, which okay. I think no one saw. I think no one saw okay. it. So well, good uh, for them. <laughs> okay, we have House Party. You people. Oh another it, fi- wait, you people. That's the that was, uh, Netflix comedy, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. 
Another film that made no money and two of our listeners saw, which I'm still kind of shocked by, it was called Spinning Golds. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, uh, uh, that's about that record producer. Records. Yeah. Yeah. Randy saw that, uh, and told us to stay away from it, I think. Okay. Or he said you should watch it because it's really stupid, crazy. I can't remember if he said it was so bad you should see it or stay away from it. It's so bad. Either way, the quality wasn't there. Okay. Well, two of our listeners think it's, well, at least two of our listeners think it's trash. Okay. Uh, poo, blood and honey. I've heard, I've heard that on a bunch of lists. Okay. And then these only got one vote from the same person, but someone said Oppenheimer and Barbie. I don't know if those are real or if they just are trolling, but come on, I don't, come on, come on, come on. It's you. Hey, it's your, it's your opinion, but right. yeah. So that's all the, all the ones that we got. That's so an awesome list. That. Yeah. We although, got a lot although, in, uh, in the fire. <laughs> I was like. I was like, I'd never heard of this movie. And I think it was like at least two of our listeners saw it and made $21,000. I'm like, did you guys go together or what? <laughs> I do. I do have to ask you, are, are you ever going to watch that Winnie the Pooh horror film? I mean, we're going to do at some point in time a second season of Breaking <laughs> Bread. So, you know, in a year, maybe I will, I will see it. Uh, I, might um, have to, I might have to add that to the list then. Um, cause that's probably uh, the only way I would watch it to be quite yeah, honest. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably my only, and like there's a, there's a Mr. Grinch one, like the mean one that's like, Oh that yeah. Too. I guess a bunch so, of stuff has gone into public domain with the yeah, steamboat Willie just steamboat went in. Willie was. Yeah. So yeah. there's, I think that I saw a preview for a, a movie already that's coming out. That's oh boy. steamboat Willie, uh, killing people. So, okay, cool. Well, listen folks, if you, uh, we talked about a lot of trends that we see popping up for 2024, like the physical media, the movie theater experience, et cetera. We would love to hear your thoughts on that. We would also love to hear your thoughts on if you've seen 2018's prospect, but Brad, if they want to share those thoughts, how do they get a hold of us? Yeah, that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com, or you can head over to not a bomb podcast, hit the contact us button, leave us a uh, suggestion, your feedback there, or hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, uh yeah we're we're on threads but no one uses threads anymore so yeah i i think i even forgot the password to it um i keep i keep just assuming you'll update it but yeah no hey folks send us you know ask us questions send us your your favorite bombs of last year uh we would still love to hear any of those experiences brad we have another movie bomb that we're going to talk about next week to be quite honest i know you called uh an audible right I did. Yes. I, I, using I moved that football some stuff around. terminology again. So what, what are we talking about next week? Cause I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. So you picked a sci-fi film and we had had this film on our list pretty much from the very beginning. And I was like, you know what? You picked a sci-fi film. I'm going to pick a sci-fi film. I'm going to pick it from 2016. It is midnight special. Oh, is that the Michael Shannon? Michael Shannon. Oh, Joel man. Edgerton, Kristen Dunst, Adam driver. A lot of people in this film. I can't wait to rewatch that one. I think it's funny. So I was thinking about this uh, this morning. We, I mean, we talk. I talk to you as much as I talk to my wife. So <laughs> <laughs> um, we had this whole list planned out for January. That got solidified like four months ago. And then we walk into this month because of all the movies that we saw over the holiday. 
and we're like, hey, I'm throwing my picks out for January because I want to talk about these two, and you pretty much did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, well, and then one of the picks I was going to do uh, is coming out in February on, on physical media, so we're going to do Oh, yeah, that's then. right, yeah, because yeah. we, we uh, want to promote that. Okay. Yeah. Well, what other podcast should everybody listen to outside of ours? Yeah, so I, I do want to take one second. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, you should listen to. They just did a three-hour episode yeah. on the Warriors uh, I think this is episode 663. It might be my favorite episode they've ever done. It's really, really good. It, uh, go. And, it is definitely my favorite that. episode they've done. Yeah. Uh, it, it is yeah, not. If you, it, it's, it's not warriors Two. That is my least favorite episode yeah, they did because yeah. they gave that one an eight, but sorry. Um, okay. Uh, watch skip plus. I still think they're on board for coming back sometime in January, but listen to their back catalog. It better be, uh, same thing for the VHS files. Um, Night of the Living podcast is the longest running horror podcast on the interwebs. So yes. go check them out. The Backlog Cinema podcast, the Mixtape podcast. Tell Matt you want to hear that uh, Christian uh, band uh, episode. I'm curious about that as well. And Raiders of the podcast. Shout out to Kevin. He always gives us a bunch of love on his YouTube videos and in their podcast. So thank you, Kevin. We love you very much. Uh, did you say movie struck? Is that on our list? Sophia's podcast. Oh, and, and movie struck. Yes. Sophia. Yeah. Yes. I'll, I need to add that to our list. Uh, add rolling with difficulty as well. You know, so we get my RPG I mean, fix I, in there. A please would be nice. Oh, please add that <laughs> one. And Hey, head over to YouTube. Our good friend, John has his channel. And now for something a little bit different, that's always fun. I like that. John just picks, he's, he's all over the place. He'll talk about TV films, books. Love it. I like people who talk about TV because I have dropped out of TV quite a bit. Like I, I am now movies, some video games still in the comics, but yeah, like TV right now, there's just nothing that really floats my boat, man. The whole family thing gets in the way of all that. Doesn't it? It it does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I had to stop watching some TV shows so I could play the new RoboCop game. Um, shooting people in the dick. I did. Yeah. I got, did you know, did I tell you I got the award for that? There's an award for that. <laughs> you're, you're the best dick shooter there around. Yeah. It's yeah. The, the trophy's called zip it up. So <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I unlocked that trophy. I was kind of, pr- I was so proud of that. I stopped what I was doing to text my wife and it'll be like, guess what trophy I got in the RoboCop day. She's like, why are you bothering me with it? But yeah. it's a big okay, deal. Nerd. It's a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. How many dicks do <laughs> you have to shoot to get that? I don't. So I just walked into a room and that's all I was doing. Okay. Uh, and I unlocked the trophy. So let me just say a lot. You had to, you had to shoot okay, a lot. Well, in Baldur's Gate three, I think I'm getting ready to have sex with a lot of people. So I'm pretty excited about that. Well, that too. sounds like you though. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. Um, okay. <laughs> Video game talk. There we go. Uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, evening. Thanks for downloading the show. Come back next week. We got some more sci-fi goodness. And uh, send us some feedback on 2018's Prospect. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. We'll catch you then. Don't lose your head.